there we were on this new track and we didn't know what to expect but the drivers seemed to like it i think everyone liked the track didn't they i think the engineers loved the track the drivers loved the track one of the engineers at mercedes was saying to me the circuit really suits formula one i can't believe it's taken us this long to get here well it was peculiar because i think we predicted we were we were kind of dreading the prediction which would be that they they'd go down the straight maybe get a drs pass and then hold everyone up for the next lap which didn't happen because we saw because of the combination of corners people were able to position themselves and wrong foot the guy in front weren't they and try and have a have a move and a bit of a bit of curb usage and they could get past so we saw some good moves all through the race and um and it was a i think it was a triumph yep completely agree i loved every minute of that weekend on and off the racetrack losail international circuit it was great welcome to this edition of f1 nation podcast with me damon hill and tom clarkson back victories for Lewis Hamilton as he now sees the chequered flag in the distance, powers down the main straight and comes home to win the Qatar Grand Prix. Hamilton on top in Qatar. Fantastic job, guys. Fantastic. Let's keep pushing, man. We can do this. Max Verstappen, though, limiting the damage, started seventh, will come home to finish second and take that fastest lap point as well. But I made that was damage limitation, a great recovery. Brilliant opening lap, so uh, well done. Good points today and fastest lap. Yeah, that was fun. Fernando Alonso back on the podium in Formula One. Welcome back, Fernando. He comes home to finish third. That is a brilliant result for him and for the Alpine team. Yes! Yes! Get it there, you beauty. Who is feeling happier after that race? The guy with the faster car or the guy with the points lead at the top of the championship. That's not the same person. Do you know something? I don't think it's a time for happiness just yet. I think the tension is still too intense. If It's too palpable. And they're so close to the finish now. And nobody really knows what's going to happen. So it's, it's getting ahead of yourself, isn't it? I think to celebrate. I mean, obviously Lewis was, I thought Lewis was, you know, he won it, but he wasn't leaping up and down in celebration. And I think he's been pretty cool about keeping his emotions in check, as has Max Verstappen. He didn't come out of that race thinking, oh, it's a disaster and the championship is slipping away. He, he thought he'd done a good job with what he could do. But the performance advantage was definitely there for Mercedes. So would you rather have the eight-point lead or the Mercedes car? Well, Lewis likes to be the hunter, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, so he's happy where he is, hunting but he's got precious few opportunities now to make up the deficit. And we have got a statistical situation now where he could lose the championship to Max. Max could win it in the next round at Saudi Arabia if certain permutations take place. And you've got all the mathematical numbers there, haven't you? You can tell us exactly what has to happen and whether or not someone has to get the fastest lap. And, you know... Are you saying it's not going to happen? Well, Damon, I think it's disingenuous to say it's going to happen at the next race because it's it could, not. Though. This is it going could. to the wire. It's the first time we've got we've got all the way down to the last two races, and this is the first time you could actually say if something happens to one of the protagonists, the other guy is going to become world champion. Well, no, actually, no. It could only be Max, couldn't it? It couldn't be Lewis, I think, because he's got the deficit. Yeah. Well, look, if Lewis finishes sixth 
or worse in Saudi Arabia, Max Verstappen is champion. There you go. That's the only stat we need. There's other, there's various other permutations, but that's the headline one. When was the last time he came sixth? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> not in that rocket. Yeah, not for ages. Crikey. Oh, he's got his new engine. Don't forget. They, and Toto said they're going to put the spicy engine in. Well, so they're racing two engines at the minute, right? There's one, the fourth engine, which is the, 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 has the less power unit sorry yeah ha, uh, has less power that's the one that he had at the weekend in qatar it's not quite as powerful but such was the layout of that track that they thought they could save the the rocket ship for for Jeddah, which hmm. i've just looked i've just looked at a, a, a map of the track i mean it's scarily quick Jeddah, and, and, and it's 27 corners yeah six kilometers I mean, and long and thin is, is one way of describing it, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, it's kind not. of a hairpin at either end, hairpin at either end, and then just some really fast sweeps. That helicopter is going to be going up and down that beach all night long. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be doing, oh dear. It's going to have to do a steep turn at each end as well, because they've got a bank corner, haven't they? Not for the helicopter, for the cars. Well, the, but the helicopter's going to be banking round it, isn't yeah. it? I mean, yeah, it's a stunning 12, track, but... 12 degree banking? Yeah, we love a bit of banking now. There's banking in uh, in Jeddah. There's going to be banking in Abu Dhabi. And there wasn't much banking. It has to be said in Qatar, though, was there? No, it's bank bank less, wasn't it? It was yeah. flat as flat as your hat. Yeah. Um, uh, it was. Well, there were no turn one had a bit of banking, and I know that because I got a little trip round in a road car. So I I went round it. I was, but I love the way it kind of went long right, then long left, then another right, and then a right right. You know, there was these combinations of corners, and you could find yourself slightly out of phase and out of position uh, and I, I think that you were saying what you were talking to uh, Alex Albman last week he was saying that illness simulator he was predicting it'd be very difficult to work out your lines around there so I think there was probably a lot of time certain drivers worked out the circuit better than others the Mercedes was just a very malleable car around that racetrack wasn't it and, and Lewis do you That's think do you, why don't do you think Lewis was better this weekend than he was in Brazil. I think he's been getting better and better. And he does this, it seems to me, he goes on for kind of like on a sort of semi-engaged period in the in the middle of the season. And then when he needs to finish off the championship, he sort of becomes a completely, totally focused individual. And Lewis carried on where he left off, didn't he? He did, in the same vein. And yep. what a great race that was. Yep. And so I think gaining, closing the gap on Rebel, definitely a spring in his step. Well, look, what about Max, though? I think if we're praising Lewis Hamilton, I think we have to be equally gushing about Max Verstappen because his car wasn't as good uh, in Brazil or Qatar, and yet he maximised everything that he had. I mean, that start he made on Sunday from seventh. Yeah. He was up to second by, what, lap four? No, his start was stunning, wasn't it? It was It was a yeah. real racer's start. You know, kept his nose clean as well, as much as Lewis had done in... In Brazil, Max did the same thing and got himself into contention quite early on. And we thought for a minute, didn't we? We thought for a minute, oops, he's now surprised Mercedes and they've got a bit of a more of a tactical problem. You know, who's going to uh, pit first and the undercut and all that. But Lewis just kept that gap uh, a bit too, bit too healthy for him to do anything about. And I think was comfortable with his pace. He didn't have to extract too much. But it's close, isn't it? I mean, you know, you think about four seconds. People are saying, oh, he had a four seconds, comfortable four seconds advantage. I'm going to count to four seconds now. So that's um, 1,001, 
1002, 1003, 1004. That's it. That's it for the whole Grand Prix. You know, I know it went up to about eight at some point, but pretty much you can see them in the mirrors, can't you? For the whole race. And you can't make a mistake. So these guys endure. They've got incredible concentration and they can endure the, the pressure from beginning to end in a, an hour and a half Grand Prix, which is, which is still amazing. And they were light years ahead of everyone else, I thought, again at the weekend, which raises a question, Damon. And I, I was watching the Sky coverage at the weekend and uh, I like this. I, I was watching your golf feature. Hmm. You sounds like you've got a bit of a slice going on at the minute, by the way. I don't know why. I normally hook them. I mean, so anyway, they suddenly started to, yeah, it swung the other way. Um, <laughs> By the way, there. are they genuinely quite good at golf? Because they seem to play yeah, a lot. They talk about it the whole time. It's Carlos yeah. Sainz and Lando Norris. They seem to love it. Yeah, they, I think it's a great way to, to unwind. You know, are for they them. decent? They're pretty good, actually. They've got good fundamental setup and the backswing looks pretty good. Uh, but as I said, I think Land. I think Lando's still got a bit to learn. He's only just taken up, but but Carlos has been taking lessons from the the top golf coaches in Spain since he was three or something. So he's got a bit of a head start. <laughs> but you said something to them which I thought was interesting, which was when you're at the sharp end, you raise your game. And I came away thinking, "Wow, well, Damon, why why would you do that? Surely you raise your game because you just the car's better, and suddenly." For the same amount of effort, you're battling for P1 instead of P7. But then I started thinking of how good Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen have been this year and thought maybe they, maybe, maybe the champ is right in that these two have raised their game this year and hence we've got this huge gulf between the top two and the rest. But what do you why? Mean maybe, what do you why? mean? Maybe the champ is right. <laughs> <laughs> but why? Why do you? Uh, Tom, raise have your you game? been? Have you been at the sharp end of a Formula <laughs> that, One World Championship? That's the thing. <laughs> that's right. That's where it falls down on my side. But why? 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 Okay. So listen. When I was racing, no, no one. I wasn't. I was not picked out as a, the shooting star uh, of the future in my career on my way up to F1. But then I got into some races with Michael Schumacher, and I was able to hold my own against him occasionally and the only explanation i can have is because he made me dig deeper he made me i had to in order to win you can't come second so you, i found out more about myself um when you get to the sharp end and it's um it's just such a big difference in the motivation between being at the sharp end and and being shooting it out for 10th and, and every driver will deny this they'll say oh no i'm giving it 100 every time well when you interview the person in, uh, at the end of the race and you hardly saw him from beginning to end and he'd been going around 11th and 12th and finally got up to 8th, you know, nobody really cares that much, do they? You know, he does. But when you've got everybody watching what's happening and you're at the front, then I don't know, somehow your performance goes up. So you drove better in 93, 94, 95, 96 than you did in at Arrows and Jordan in 97, 98, 99. I think I responded to the event and the situation, and I'm, and I'm sort of what I'm saying to these guys is, I mean, you know, Lando is 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 a hot child, as is Carlos, and they and they are fighting to show what they've got. But you know, you ask Lando if he's more focused when he's fourth than when he's um, when he's when he was down at the back. You know, I think that I think that something happens. You get slightly dejected being. 11th you know 
it can be kind of demoralizing. Well, here's the thing. Your words were echoing around in my head as I was listening to Toto Wolf telling Valtteri Bottas to overtake the cars in front. And hey, presto, what did he do? Well, that's, in my, that's exactly my point, Tom. You know, it took just a one word from Toto and a bit of kind of, you know, a bit of a crack of the whip. And suddenly, um, you know, Valtteri was, I, would, I wouldn't say unleashed, but he certainly made some progress. But, but I think, you know, it's very easy to get dejected and you must never get, you know, dispirited. But I think keeping the pressure up on yourself throughout a length of a Grand Prix is quite hard because they're also doing a tactical thing. So they're not racing flat out all the time. They are having to um, measure out their tyres and God knows what else. So that's an issue, isn't it, in their defence. Let's talk about Fernando Alonso, who went into this race as the highest driver in the championship without a podium. Fernando's last podium in Formula One was a long, long time ago. Hungary, 2014. It was podium number 97. Well, it's podium number 98 and a one-stop strategy that he has made work. Fernando Alonso back on the podium in Formula One. Welcome back, Fernando. He comes home to finish third. That is a brilliant result for him and for the Alpine team. Seven years, but finally, finally we, we got it. I was waiting so long for this, so I'm, I'm happy. One guy who doesn't need any encouragement, I think we'll agree on this, is Fernando Alonso. <laughs> Never. No. You just, he, he gives everything all the time and oh. he's such, a, he was such a smart driver and wasn't it great to see him get on the podium? Oh, wasn't it just... So happy for him. Seven and a half years. Seven and a half years of trying <laughs> various teams and a lot of pain and, and tears in the process. Yeah. But put him in a car and he is just a machine, isn't he? He just becomes a kind of lap time producing thing. You know, he just keeps pressing on. Damon, I was confident for him. As soon as I heard a driver on Friday compare the low sail circuit to Mugello, which they did, I thought, ah, Alpine are going to be strong because they were really good at Mugello last year. Daniel Ricciardo finished fourth. It's the sort of long corners. Right. It's, 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 it is very interesting, isn't it, how certain... I mean, Fernando came out with a very interesting point, which is we need to understand, as, as Alpine, why we're quick here. You know, that's our problem. Is we, it's not that we're not quick, it's that we don't understand why we're quick. But Fernando did a great job of, of, of eking out his tyres as well and and keeping the performance up. Hey, do, do you think... I mean, I, it, was, it was a third place on merit. I think probably helped by Bottas getting that puncture and not finishing the race. I think Bottas would have threatened him. Yeah. And without the virtual safety car at the end, do you think Perez would have got him? I don't think he would. Well, they were, ham they were hampered by their starting positions, weren't they? You know, I mean, he was elevated by, by their... Um, demotion. Why? Well, but he qualified. What was it? Fifth on merit. Yeah, no, they were. He was always in the top ten, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, they were. They were looking really good. And and I, you know, it was possibly if he'd managed to get past Pierre Gasly uh, at the start um, and got where he could have. He could have launched himself down the inside, <laughs> <laughs> which I wouldn't have put past him to be honest. But he did behave himself quite well. I thought in races he was he was a hard and hard but yeah, fair. But I mean, just so dogged, so determined, and 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 actually, uh, Ocon helped him as well. I thought in the way he held up. Well, held up. Ocon said after the race that he reckons he held up Perez by th for three seconds, and that was ultimately yeah. the gap Fought between. Like 
for <laughs> paying yeah. back hungry yeah. fighting like a lion to yeah. uh, to to make his car as wide as possible it was such a joy though to i feel that fernando alonso is someone who has whose talent deserves more than two world championships and 32 wins he deserved that podium he's driven brilliantly and better and better and better this year yeah. And he delivered. And funnily enough, as he left the press conference after the race, I said, oh, all right, see you next time. And he went, I think we'll be seeing you next year. <laughs> Don't think it's going to happen in Jeddah or Abu, but anyway. Yeah. Well, he's not, so, he's not showing much sign of flaking out, is he, in, in, his, in his age, in his old age. How old is Kimi now? Kimi's, Kimi's 42, isn't it? They yeah. both made their debut in uh, 2001, Melbourne 2001. They've both, funnily enough, taken two years out. Remember, Kimi left Ferrari hmm. at the end of 2009 and then came back with Lotus in 2012. And Fernando left McLaren in, what was it, end of 18 and then came back this year with, with Alpine. And you can't underestimate how difficult that is if you take a year out of Formula One at all. You know, it, to, to get yourself rewound up again to the pitch that you need to, it's not easy. Can I just plug this week's Beyond the Grid? Yeah. What is it about? Fernando. Fernando's on oh. this week's Beyond the Grid. I spoke to him last weekend. I should be keen to hear that, Tom. I don't know how you do it. I mean, I can never think of the questions to ask. But you just hope that they talk. And Fernando talked, actually. He wanted to talk. And you're very good at listening when they do talk as well. Well, I hope so. Not like me. Probably want to interrupt them all the time. But um, so, yeah, it's worth it always. I listen to all of them. And, and if anyone hasn't listened to Tom's Beyond the Grid, then why not? Because you'll learn an awful lot. I've learned so much listening to your podcast. And that's enough uh, uh, praise and and yeah otherwise no, I'll no, embarrass you that's enough please stop yes please stop Damon I feel that the Formula 1 World Championship is sort of locked in the Middle East at the minute isn't it we've had the Qatar Grand Prix last weekend then of course we've got the double header in Saudi and Abu Dhabi coming up and then the start of next year we've got the Bahrain test followed by the Bahrain Grand Prix and then back to Saudi Arabia again so who better to have on the show with us today than the presenter of Formula One in the Middle East for NBC Action uh, Sabine Sassin is with us thank you so much for your time it's great to see you Great to see you too. Now, we have just been discussing the top three finishers in Qatar uh, at the weekend. Brilliant performances all round. What did you make of the race? Well, I think it was a, it was a very interesting uh, Grand Prix because we didn't know what to expect. I guess no one, no one knew what to expect uh, from the circuit, uh, uh, from both teams. I'm talking about uh, definitely Red Bull and, and Mercedes. Uh, no one, like at the beginning of the weekend, uh, we noticed that Lewis was a bit not sure of his driving, of the car, of the speed, etc. But things got better during Saturday as we as we saw and then the qualifying was amazing for for Lewis and also we we thought that uh, it's going to be very difficult to overtake because that's the first impression that everyone had and yet during the race we saw so many nice battles it was very very exciting frankly when I saw the circuit first uh, I thought ah, drivers might be complaining about it or not sure about it or you know because it's not made for Formula One but probably we should have more circuits not made for Formula One to make it more exciting. More bike tracks. Yes. That's what we need. Probably, yeah. <laughs> we've got all the way. This year's championship, we've got 
Qatar. Uh, well, we had Mugello last year. That was a great race as well. That's a sort of bike track, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It was awesome. I guess uh, we're, we're witnessing history uh, and we're so lucky, especially in our part of the world, to be, to be seeing this battle uh, finishing here, uh, either in Jeddah or in Abu Dhabi. So I think uh, we are so lucky, uh, fans are so lucky, and for F1, it's just awesome. Sabine, how do we, how do we assess uh, the, the desire to have uh, Grand Prix there. Is it, I mean, because it, it could be, I got the impression that it's sort of, there's a lot of Europeans there and they come to the race, but, you know, as of the other people in Qatar and the, and the people who live there generally, are they big F1 fans? Okay, so things are changing a lot lately. Since 2019, Formula One became on free-to-air channel. And this helped a lot in the growth of the sport in the, in the Gulf region particularly, because the Middle East, as you know, is divided into three parts. So you have the Gulf region where you have all these GPs happening, whether it's Bahrain, whether it's Abu Dhabi, uh, Qatar and Saudi, and you have Levant region, and also you have uh, North uh, North Africa. So initially, and long time ago, most of the fans of Formula One would come from Levant or North Africa, because when I was young, for instance, I'm Lebanese, and when I was young, we used to watch this on free-to-air TV. So the Michael Schumacher era was on free-to-air TV in Lebanon. So that's why you see older fans who enjoy Formula One so much from this region. Now, the Gulf region, and specifically, if, if I want to take KSA, for instance, KSA is a very uh, young audience. So they are discovering Formula One now with NBC Action, which is free to air. And it's been three years. The whole coverage is different because we're going to races. They're seeing familiar faces during the races. Uh, they're, they're getting to know more what's happening behind the scenes, etc. So the, the whole sport is growing uh, much, much more in the region. So, yes, it's true. Before, you would see people uh, going to watch uh, Formula One, mostly for the concerts, probably. But this year and the past year, it was past year where well, there was no, no audience, but now you see much more people uh, trying to book tickets and asking about Formula One and interested in Formula One from, uh, from the region and not only Europeans and Americans and from all over the world. Can we guess who the most popular drivers are or is there, are there some sort of slightly obscure followings? Mercedes and Ferrari both have a huge fan base. So in the region... They love Mercedes because they love the brand. They love the car. You see a lot of Mercedes on the streets and they love Ferrari. They love Ferrari since Schumacher because this is like the icon of the sport. And uh, until now, whenever you ask someone who doesn't know much about Formula One, they tell you Ferrari. And until now, most of the fans I hear on social media are either Ferrari, and I would say mostly Ferrari, and then second, uh, yeah, mostly Ferrari. So they better do something really nice this weekend because uh, because they have a huge fan base. You say you have a younger audience coming through. So yeah. what about the sort of Max Verstappens and the Lando Norrises, all those sort of younger guys? Yes. Yeah, so the younger. So this is something I noticed in um, between Saudis mostly. So younger people love. I think they love how bold Max is. They love his attitude. They love how bold he is, how uh, 
how can I describe Max the way he is? So I get, for instance, my co-host uh, during the podcast, he openly supports Max. So everything, <laughs> everything he cares about whenever we discuss uh, any weekend is how Max did and how Red Bull did. So yeah, Max also. Norris, uh, well, I think Norris has, uh, well, I think ladies ask more about Norris. <laughs> this is the type of question I would ask more about Norris, but also McLaren. Let's not forget that McLaren has also a big history in, in, in our region. And uh, with the comeback of McLaren uh, recently, it's also getting uh, a little bit of, uh, of hype in the region. I think when they go to Saudi, they will see love from absolutely everyone all drivers will will feel at home that's good to hear isn't it tom you know it's nice to break new ground and get to know people in different parts of the world uh, that you know obviously news coverage covers one side of the story but when we go somewhere we get to uh, meet people and see how they live you know we've been to places like baku you know we i would never have gone to baku ordinarily but i go with the grand prix and you see the the you know the city and the people and how they live and stuff and so that's that's a big part of the attraction of being in f1 so going to someone like um the places we go to now in the middle east is going to be uh, in the gulf region is going to be uh, very interesting actually i used to get a lot of emails Sabine from the Lebanon when I was racing um it was one of the one of the yeah definitely a big it was a big following it was obviously getting quite a lot of coverage there so Sabine when Damon rocks up in Saudi is there a big following for the golden oldies come on <laughs> is he gonna be mobbed <laughs> Is he going to be mobbed? At just, the she just said I... it's a very young audience, Tom. Okay, so let's, and just so that we don't make it general, in Saudi there are some real hardcore fans. What I'm trying to tell you is, and there's there's a culture, there's a very nice culture for motorsports, especially that the promoter and uh, the minister of uh, sport uh, both are into GT3 and motorsports. So there's this nice culture of motorsport in general. But what I'm trying to tell you is most of the population is young. So this young population have been watching Formula One for the past few years on NBC Action, probably from Netflix also, it helped. So uh, both are discovering and asking questions, non-stop questions about Formula One on social media. And basically their big stars are the new stars, you know, but Damon will will make sure there's a big hype around you. I promise. Listen, I, I've I've had, so I've had a lot. I've had enough hype for one lifetime. I'm very happy with where I am. But um, it, it's nice. It's nice to it, it's nice to see that you know a new wave of people getting into the sport for the reasons that they uh, they like it as it is today because it has changed gradually over time. But I think the new the new crew of drivers are much more adept at you know, selling themselves and letting everyone know and letting, letting everyone know in, uh, what they're up to and what their hobbies are and stuff. And I think this is through social media. It's completely changed the, the way drivers express themselves and live their life. So. Absolutely. And that appeals to young people. It's Absolutely. Good. There are stars. You mentioned Baku and uh, Baku is the same for me. So the first time I went to Baku in 2019, I didn't know what to expect. And I was 
positively surprised with how beautiful the city is, with the mix of old town and new town. And I think F1 is an amazing promotion or an amazing ad to any uh, country in the world. So this is what Jeddah will be getting out of hosting Formula One. So everyone visiting will be probably will be surprised and positively surprised to discover the city, the beauty in the city, the people, the culture, the old city and the new city. So it's, I think it's a win-win uh, situation for, for both. Sabine, when did you last go to the track in Jeddah? What have we got coming our way? Is it finished? I know a lot of people are going to ask, yes. is it finished? Is it? Because I've seen some wonderful photos, but... Yes, did you see the photos yesterday and the video? So yes, it's finished. What's the most impressive thing about this whole thing is the time frame, eight months to finish uh, such a circuit. It was so difficult, I think, for everyone. I had uh, Karsten Tilke as uh, a guest and he told me, yes, we built so many, we, we had so many projects, but the time frame of this project is so challenging, so challenging. And this is what everyone was talking about. And everyone was betting against it. You know, a lot of people was, were saying, ah, it will not finish. But uh, yesterday it was nicely finished and done. And uh, next week, I guess we're all going to be there uh, doing our things like we usually do. So, and, and what about the climate? What do we need to pack? It's perfect. So December is like the perfect weather. No, I'm serious. I usually love warmer weather, so I'm not going to lie to you, but uh, the weather is really good. So it would be, uh, I would say, a normal summer day for you guys uh, during uh, during the day. Probably in the evening, you might need a little sweater, but you you guys don't need the sweater. I, I might take one. <laughs> you, are used to, <laughs> you are used to much colder weather than this. Is it going to rain? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, any chance of that? Sometimes it does rain in December. Sometimes it does rain in December. Very few times it does, frankly. So you never know. But it's very occasional and can happen. Expect some rain. No, don't expect. I'm joking. But if you have an umbrella, bring it. Why not? <laughs> no, I'm not bringing an umbrella for Saudi Arabia. I'm definitely <laughs> <laughs> that's a ridiculous idea. I might bring my swimmers. But that's... <laughs> I think well, Natalie was interested in the scuba diving, wasn't she? So at some point, there's apparently the Red Sea is very good for for that kind of thing. Yes, Red Sea is known for for it's uh, like it's the perfect place for scuba diving. I have friends who are going actually planning also a trip soon uh, to Jeddah because apparently it's the new thing. You know the Red Sea in different parts of the world. So if you go to Egypt, you'll see a lot of people. It's very commercial. Uh, very um, you'll have too many tourists there but now in Jeddah I think because it's new what's happening so uh, newly a lot of uh, scuba divers are discovering this area and going to to see the beautiful creatures there it's it's beautiful beautiful Sabine can, can we just touch on um, it's be interesting to get your take on this because clearly there are some people who are concerned about us traveling to places that are um, it's quite a bit different to our culture. Um, and Saudi has not been an open country for very long, has it really? I mean, it's in, it, this is a big step for them, isn't it? What's the, what's the reaction in the region to, to Saudi doing this? Is this a sign that things are, uh, are changing slowly in, in, in Saudi Arabia? Uh, well, first, I don't see any concern to, to visit Saudi. I personally don't find any concern to visit any place in the world. I think when you, visit any new place you just discover the people because when you're in your screen or at home just reading some random news about any country in the world you might develop any uh, perception of this place without visiting it 
But when you visit a place, it's completely different because you get to see what's inside. You get to meet people people just like you and me and see what they're doing. And what's happening right now in Jeddah is incredible. Change is happening in an incredible way. And everyone who's going is actually impressed with what's happening. Uh, Michael Massey was was, uh, on the podcast a few weeks ago and we spoke. I listened to that podcast. It was very good. Uh, Thank you. I'm happy you enjoyed it. Uh, So Michael is visiting several times. And uh, we we chatted a bit, like uh, even outside the podcast, about the, the impressive progress that's happening in Saudi in general. Riyadh apparently also massive change, massive. I I see pictures and videos, and I, you cannot believe it's it's Riyadh, and uh, the same is happening in Jeddah. So I think you guys will be positively positively surprised. Yeah, the track we're going to discover, I think it's going to be a big challenge by the looks of things. It's uh, 27 corners long. Yes. And super fast as well, huh? Yes, it's uh, the fastest street circuit in the world. Uh, 27 corners, you said, so the most curved, let's say. Uh, 3DRS zones, uh, also, yeah, so fastest in the world, tallest uh, street circuit in the world as well. And it's a night race. Hang on, Spin, what do you mean by the tallest? So yes, in terms of length. The length, length, the length, oh yeah. Longest. If we put it, if we put it on end, it would be the, also the tallest. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I remember the Valencia Street Circuit. That wasn't a great racetrack. This looks like a great racetrack. Well, they always said that Valencia wasn't a great track, but it actually produced some great races. It did. There was some. It wasn't a great track as such, but it was. It, I seem to remember there was a couple of good ones. I th- I remember Valencia just being ninety degree corners. Yeah, I always have this theory about like Canada. You'd never go and design a track like that now, but it actually produces some of the best races. Yes, exactly. So, so it's a, it's always about uh, the outcome, I guess. But I would love to ask you, what did you think of, of uh, the track? So, is it like is it a place you'd like to 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 try? Yeah, I, I'm a bit worried about the speed. I mean, there's not much runoff, uh, and you know they've got the safer barriers, haven't they? They're using like they do in Indianapolis, but um, it's going to be very high speed and not much runoff, so high risk, high jeopardy. Um, so that always gets your attention as a racing driver. Yeah, no room for a mistake. I feel that we should um, start talking about the championship and all the different permutations, not just at the front, but also what's happening behind. Max or Lewis? Who's your money on, Sabine? You know how many times I get asked this question, especially recently. Usually I would tell you uh, who's my money on, but this time it's so close, so close. I think after what I saw yesterday, okay, uh, I think, especially with Lewis' old engine and Brazil was kind of incredible, I would put my money on Lewis this time. Well, I would love to ask you guys, do you think this circuit, Jeddah, will suit Mercedes more or Red Bull more? No, I think it's a, it's a very difficult one to judge because it's it's such an unusual looking track. Um, and mm. I compared it to possibly like Baku um, and I was told off um, by by Ross Braun who who said, no, no, it's not like that at all. It's, it's a completely different type of track. It's got bank corners and stuff and it's some of the sweeps are looking i look quite long so i'm trying i'm racking my brains i think you know it could be a cross between something like singapore and um and, and baku what do you think tom i think it's fast enough to start comparing it with a permanent racetrack right like what monza well, <laughs> I, don't, 
<laughs> Not silver. I mean, it's quite difficult when you're just looking at a map. It's quite difficult, isn't it? Until you get there. But I think it's going to be a very high average speed. I think grunt is going to be really important. And I think that immediately makes me want to side with Lewis Hamilton because I think he's going to use his latest engine when he gets there. Power unit. Sorry, Damon. And, mm. uh, and I think he's going to be... Very strong. But equally, equally, we thought Mercedes were going to dominate, or I did, thought Mercedes were going to dominate in Austin and they got beat. Yeah, we can't, we cannot predict this, this championship at all. Uh, the form, it's, and also the gaps, the, the margins are quite tiny, nearly always, aren't they? I mean, you know, three tenths is a big difference. I know that Lewis put it on pole by nearly four tenths or something uh, in Qatar, but that's an unusually big uh, differentiator, isn't it? So, And there will be jeopardy. There will be jeopardy in Jeddah as well because it's a street track. The walls are close. I'm not saying that Max or Lewis will crash necessarily, but I would imagine there'll be yellow flags caused by other people during qualifying, during the race. There will be safety cars. And how that all falls could have a huge influence on strategy, on grid positions. Well, I think it's great that nobody knows where they're going. This is a completely unknown place, unknown track, and, and it's at that crucial point in the championship. They, you know, they, this is going to be so important for the championship, this race coming up. Other teams that we haven't talked about so far on this pod, the Ferrari and McLaren battle. I thought both teams had quiet weekends in Qatar. Ferrari coming home 7th and 8th. Sainz, your golfing partner, Sainz, ahead of Leclerc, with Norris in ninth and Daniel Ricciardo out of the points. Daniel Ricciardo... Lando had the puncture thing, didn't he? So that he he lost a good position that could have been much better than could have could have been could have yeah. would have shoulda. And Daniel Ricciardo had this very bizarre uh, problem where he was having to fuel save half a kil- he he had he said half a kilometer per lap. It was about two seconds a lap from very early on in the race because mm. there was some software glitch. And about halfway through the race, they suddenly realised, oh no, it's all an error. You've got enough fuel. Off you go again, but that's a bit annoying, isn't it? When you've been going, you've been asked to go slower and slower and slower, and eventually they, they say, "No, no, you can go faster again." Now, um, but you'd, you'd wish you'd known that earlier. But. I feel very sorry for McLaren. Actually, they've they've had good pace over these last three races, and yet I think they've come away with what four points? Yeah, only four points. The thing is, also, uh, uh, Seidel was uh, was a guest, and I asked him this question early on, so a few weeks back if he feels confident that they will keep their third position because this is where they were. And then he had a very positive uh, attitude and very, you know, uh, positive answer. And then since uh, the the guys keep on, I wouldn't say, I mean, losing their fight against Ferrari since because of that Ferrari engine change at some point. So yes, uh, unfortunately, the gap is getting bigger and bigger. And I guess, I don't know, do you think guys... During the last two races, McLaren would be able to do anything against Ferrari. Mm, I think I think they've got a struggle now, haven't they, to 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 uh, to do anything about Ferrari. I think that Ferrari seem to have kind of just inched uh, uh, enough ahead. And Le- Charles's actual result or his qualifying was was artificially bad. I think in Qatar because he'd done he found he had got a damaged tarp, hadn't he? Mm-hmm. Damon, he did, but he damaged it on his first run in Q1. No, right. You're so it's his fault. 
<laughs> but he fixed it, and then the car was quicker again. But not. Yeah. But 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 the damage was done. But they're kind of thir- is it thirty nine and a half points? McLaren are behind Ferrari now, so but, I think that looks it's going to take hmm. a big upset for that to change. So Ferrari P three, McLaren P four, Alpine have now got twenty five points on Alpha Tauri in sixth. So that looks like do you know the battles? It's for first and second. Forget the rest. That's what we've just concluded. It's um, eight points between. Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton at the top of the drivers and five points between Mercedes and Red Bull. There we go. That's just look at that. That's all we need to focus on. That's what that's what we will. That's what most people will focus on, Tom. Although, of course, we do love to see all the other stuff because actually there was a lot of entertainment in Qatar that went through the overtaking of these these minor places I could say minor but I you know I understand they're important to to the teams but they there was some good dicing I thought and good overtaking and a bit of wheel to wheel action at Qatar in the midfield which you clearly don't get quite as much of that at the front you know it's it's much more nuanced at the front isn't it and Aston had a good weekend in Qatar didn't they with Lance Stroll in sixth and Vettel getting that last point in 10th as well again it was odd it was odd to see how cars perform better in the race than they did in qualifying um in qatar but uh and unless you were driving an alpha tower exactly my thoughts exactly unfortunately yeah but that's what i mean yeah all in all it's uh it's a pretty good setup for for the the first inaugural jeddah grand prix how many people do you think are going to fly in uh sabine to to this event from the region is there going to be a lot of influx from from motorsport fans? Yes, I guess a big big majority will be from from Saudi because uh, Saudi fans are flying from you know everywhere in Saudi to Jeddah to participate in this event, and also from the region. Yes, so definitely from here, from UAE, from uh, from uh, Bahrain and Oman, uh, from uh, the Levant area also. So yeah, I guess from, from the whole region, everyone wants to see what this uh, Jeddah Grand Prix is all about. Well, it's going to be very exciting. And thank you so much for your time, Sabine. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Okay, guys, thank you so much. Bye. Take care. Bye. It's one of my favourite bits of the show. And I feel like we haven't had an Ask Damon on F1 Nation for quite a while. There's quite a backlog of questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready, Tom. Come on, hit me. (laughs) Hi, Damon. Hi, TC. Love the show, guys. My name is Cy, Cy Ferguson from Los Angeles, California. Hey, Damon, I wanted to ask you, in your opinion, who is the most unappreciated multi-world champion. In my case, I think it's Alan Prost because everybody fanfares over Senna. (laughs) But that's my take. What do you think? Hi, Cy. I love the way you say hi, TC, because that sounds like a line from Top Cat. Do you remember that? It was a guy, it was Benny, wasn't it? You go, hi, TC. Um, Anyway, so, um, yes, Cy, it's a good question. I was thinking either Jack Brabham uh, oh, I was going to say Nicky, Nicky Lauda. That's what came into my mind as well. I mean, it, this was the thing that grated with him a little bit in the in the Hunt um, versus Lauda film was that uh, you know his it was it was about the crazy charismatic driver and 
and Nicky kind of felt like he was a little bit overlooked by by that. But, and he did always come across as being very calculating and methodical. But he was a very fast driver and oh, he was a very intelligent driver. Brilliantly fast, brilliantly intelligent. And anyone who beat the 1984 spec Alain Prost, I think that's when Prost was, was at his absolute peak. And to, to beat him in his penultimate year of Formula One. Yeah. Outsmarted him. Uh, uh, yeah. Which, Brilliant. What about PK? Was PK underappreciated? That's a good shout, actually, Dem. That's a good shout. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, he won a couple for Brabham and then but, one in a Williams, There can't be he? that many at multiple champions <laughs> out there. Hang on. Yeah, we're going to go through the list here, aren't we? Uh, and you have the final say, because this is... Your bit of the show. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, God. So it has to be multiple world champions. Oh, Sebastian Vettel. He's a multiple world champion. I think it could be Sebastian Vettel. Why do you think he's underappreciated? I don't know. I think it was all a bit too much too soon. And he didn't have an era. I mean, there was a very short span where he was dominating, wasn't it? For a guy who's won four titles, it all came along in a bit of a rush, like, you know, buses. Ah, another good shout. PK, okay, go on then. PK or Vettel, who is it? Okay, let's go PK. I think we need to appreciate PK a bit more. Why don't we appreciate PK? I do. 81, 83, 87 were his championships. I think our judgment is slightly affected by how long the driver continues after his last world championship. My view of PK, you know, he was brilliant in that Brabham and... Nigel Mansell was a great racing driver and he beat Nigel Mansell to the mm. 1987 well, on consistency on, con- on his consistent because those days they didn't drop the scores did they do you remember that's the, that's the story mm. about that but then as he revealed years later he was driving most of that season with concussion and he couldn't because he had that massive shunt at uh, Imola and he could hunt, he did something with his sleep patterns so he, yeah. he, he kept all that quiet um He's a difficult character, I think, sometimes, PK. But still, to win three titles, he must have, you know, he was fast and he was good at what he did. Yeah, and my view of him is muddied by the Lotus years where he was, wasn't was particularly quick and then he goes to Benetton and falls out with Flavio and then Schumacher comes in and shows him the way home at those last few races in 91. But in his pomp, P- I, if you're going PK, I'm supporting you every step of the way, champ. Let's do it. <laughs> Okay, we, so we've, we've done Sai and you've got a backlog of questions, so I think we need another one. Hi, Damon. This is Paul from Louisiana, USA. My question is, the two drivers we have on the grid right now that are sons of famous racing drivers in Max Verstappen and Mick Schumacher, do you think they're experiencing any extra stress and expectations on them having famous fathers? Did you yourself experience any extra expectations on you being the son of a famous racing driver yourself? Anyway, keep up the good, great podcast. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Yeah, you're right. Um, I was the son of. And uh, when I crossed the line in 96 to win the championship, then Murray Walker introduced me as son of um, the, the famous racing driver, Graham Hill. And uh, you can't get away from it. That is that is a fact of, of our careers. You know, if you follow in the father's footsteps in career-wise, then it's going to be mentioned, isn't it? And uh, my dad led a, le- left quite a big legacy. Not as big as Mick's dad, of course. He's only got a seven times, you know, seven titles to compare himself to. But Max is a little bit like uh, Jack Villeneuve in that Jack's dad did never win the world title. 
Um, but obviously it was a very famous racing driver. And Jos has got, had a huge following but didn't win the title. So, and, and Max hasn't won the title yet either, but he's won a lot of Grand Prix. So you could say that Max has sort of superseded his dad's career record. And Nico Rosberg kind of won more Grand Prix than his dad and equaled him on titles. I won more Grand Prix than my dad, but I didn't equal him on titles. People do expect, they want to know whether or not it's passed on somehow to, to uh, second generations. I mean, it's of interest, but ultimately you will be judged by how good you are. People will not put you in a car just because you got a, f- a famous name. There you go, Paul. Well, listen, thanks very much for those questions. I know that there's a bigger backlog than we can manage to get through, but have a go anyway yourself if you've got something, some burning question you want to put to me to askdamonhill at gmail.com. And if it's a voice note, uh, we can play it out on the show and have a go answering it. And we'll look forward to more of them because we're going to be getting some seriously interesting questions, I expect, coming up in the next couple of weeks. Well, we've had a good week. And then we've got one week off and then uh, back out to Saudi. Can't wait. And thank you to Sabine as well. It's great to get her thoughts on uh, what we got coming our way in Jeddah. It was. The answer is lots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> very, very fast racetrack. All right, Damien, look, it's been uh, great catching up. I feel we've seen a lot of each other recently. It's been, it's been fab. Have a good week. And I think this is where we say goodbye. F1 Nation is produced by F1 in association with Audio Boom Studios. Adios. Adios.